Let's take our Bibles and let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now let me ask you a question. Which of the different Christmas characters do you find to be most fascinating, most admirable? Some of you would immediately say, it's Mary, and she is. Others would say, oh, it's got to be Joseph. How he disciplined himself, his mind, his body, and followed the Lord. Others might say, well, you know, the character that I really relate to are Zacharias and Elizabeth. How this elderly couple, they just followed the Lord, and as a result, God gave them John the Baptist. Or maybe you would think that it would be, you know, Simeon and Anna those who were faithfully declaring the message and they were at the end of their life get to see the Christ child. Or maybe you really admire the different wise men who come later on to the Christ child and you find their story fascinating. I got to tell you, the one that, that to me is really, really an exciting story, it's the shepherds. Maybe it's because the title that we use is the same title they have, Poimain, shepherd, the idea that we'd get pastor from. But their story to me is fascinating. It is a wonderful story for several reasons. One is because of who they are. One is because of what they heard, what they saw, and then what they did with it. Let, let's just go through that quickly this morning. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're talking, first of all, about who these guys were, who these shepherds were. We get a little bit, just a, a smidgen of information in verse 8. It says, And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Just taking that little tidbit of information, what do we know? Well, in Jewish history, shepherds historically, they were heroic characters. Abraham, you have Isaac and Jacob, and you have David as a shepherd. He writes that beautiful psalm as a shepherd. You have the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah talking about God being the shepherd of Israel. And so in the Old Testament, a lot of the history, shepherding was looked at as a very lofty, as a very commendable type of an occupation and an activity. But by the time we come to the New, era, the New Testament era, it's not seen that way anymore. They were a despised class. In fact, historically we know that according to the Jewish laws, the Mishnah is their Jewish codes and commentaries, that the shepherds, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they were considered to be unclean individuals. They were individuals who were considered religious outcasts. They were not allowed to even testify in court. They were individuals who were looked down upon. In the Jewish writings that we referred to, we even find some comments made about them. The Midrash is a commentary in the New Testament era. It's a commentary on different Old Testament passages. In the one on Psalm 23 we read, no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. And then we read as well Philo who was a historian, who was a philosopher of the time of, and generation of Jesus. He writes about shepherding as such pursuits are mean and inglorious. And so there was the attitude that the shepherds were not somebody that we would look at as very noble. And the reason that they were despised is very interesting. Their job would keep them in the field seven days a week. That makes sense. Animals don't take the day off. And so they couldn't come in and celebrate the Sabbath. They couldn't observe. And remember how rigid the Jewish leaders were about observing the Sabbath? Well, the, Jew, the shepherds couldn't do it. And so the religious leaders, they decried them. They criticized them. They said that they were... They were less than, than uh, second-class citizens because their jobs kept them there. They couldn't come, celebrate the feast days. In fact, dealing with the animals and dealing with the birthing, dealing with the de death of the different sheep and lambs and uh, such like, they would often be touching blood. They would be touching carcasses, and that would make them undefiled in the Jewish system. So frequently they were unclean for those regards. In fact, in their society, you didn't need education to be a shepherd. And so they were looked at as being ignorant individuals. They, it was even written that shepherds are ignorant or untrained. And so they were looked at as a group of people that typically, a lot of them were hirelings to watch the flocks, especially around, uh, around Bethlehem, that they weren't their own flocks, it was other people's flocks. And so they got, a, they got a reputation that being hirelings, they wouldn't work so hard. Jesus develops that in John 10 about the contrast between the good shepherd and the hirelings. And so the reputation was that these hirelings, without their bosses nearby, they were lazy. They might pilfer from the flock. It's common, kind of like this, that in our modern day, there are certain occupations that we kind of just all of a sudden have this, this and mentality that they're cheats, they're no goods. Used car salesmen, lawyers, politicians, preachers, okay? They're classified in that area that people kind of second question them right away. Well, that's the way it was for the shepherds in the New Testament era. And so they're a lower class. They're individuals who are despised. And interesting, 
God's announcement of the birth comes to them first and foremost. These individuals that we are going to get the angelic announcement, they're in the fields. Now you might be wondering, why are in the fields at night? Well, that was typical because large flocks were kept out in that grazing area and shepherds would have to keep there to watch for anybody stealing or any animals that would come. But the big debate is, well, it couldn't possibly be a December birth because the shepherds aren't in the fields in the December region. Well, that's not always true historically. Historically, we do know, just like today, weather would make changes, okay? Does our does our long fall that went into December, did that make some changes in how things were done around town? It did. It did. Even the leaf collection in Lebanon was affected by the fact that we, the trees didn't shed their leaves early. The shepherds could be out because depending upon the season. In fact, we have historical writings that there were shepherding out in the fields in February, which is usually in that area of the world the coldest, the wettest month. And so some of the shepherds, especially around Bethlehem, would be in the fields all season long. And the reason being is Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. And according to the Jewish writings, any animals that were within that close of vicinity, they were often needed to be used for temple sacrifices. In fact, the writings talk about a small village between, between nearby Jerusalem that any of the animals would have to be available at any time for the Passover or other sacrifices. And so it's very likely that if we understand the culture and the custom, these very shepherds who were in the fields near Jerusalem watching the flocks at night, that the flocks that they were watching may not have been their own, but could have been the property of the temple. And they were hirelings there doing that. These very shepherds were those who were keeping guard of temple sacrificial animals. Boy, isn't that interesting? The angels come and announce the birth of Christ to temple servants, individuals watching the sheep that are going to be sacrificed. Well, that would make perfect sense because Jesus is the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And so you have in this story, you have that God makes his announcement, and usually this wasn't typical. In Jewish society, a baby's being born, you get the relatives, you get the hoi polloi from the community to come when the baby's born and to celebrate initially with the parents. It doesn't happen. He doesn't have the message go to the priest or the nobility. It doesn't even go to Jerusalem. It goes to the shepherds in the fields right around Bethlehem who were undeserving, who were second-class citizens, which obviously indicates that God in His grace, Jesus in His humility was interested in people who were not the hoi polloi of the religious society. I like that because I can relate to the shepherds. We can because we are individuals who are of a meeker class by many people's standards. We are individuals that before God, we are undeserving of what Christ has done. We are not the nobility religiously. All of us are sinners. We are tainted. We are unclean. We get around the smelly things of life. And in the nostrils of God, we aren't considered the best, the upper crust. And yet God delivers to us the message that Jesus Christ so loved the world that he gave his only, that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. And so we look at the shepherds and say, wow, they're like us. They're individuals who aren't, you know, looked up to be the nobility religiously. They're just commoners. But their story is fascinating for what they hear. The story goes on and says they're in their fields by night. And we read, And lo, the angel of the Lord shone upon, or came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, think about this. It has been four to five hundred years since an angel, a direct message from God or messenger from heaven has come to any of the prophets like Daniel. There's been no such, such things happening for hundreds of years and all of a sudden in the last year and a half the angel has been appearing and talking to Mary, Zacharias, Joseph. And these new messages are all of a sudden coming. Kind of a lot of them, we say three isn't a lot, but at that time after 500 years of silence the shepherds get the message from the angels. And it talks about the message coming that suddenly the angel of the Lord, who this is, we don't know. Is it Gabriel who talked to Zacharias and Mary and Joseph could be the lead angel of bringing messages, but it all of a sudden shows up and talks with them. 
But the passage says something else that sometimes we overlook. It says the angel of the Lord came upon them and it says also it talks about the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The glory of the Lord is an Old Testament idea. It is that fire of God. It's the Shekinah glory, the one that led through the wilderness. In the guiding is the, the pillar of fire. That when Solomon dedicated the temple, all of a sudden the fire comes down from heaven and it fills the holy of holies. It's the glory of God. It's the radiance of God. It's that same radiant image of God that Ezekiel reads about and talks about in chapters 1, 2, and 10 where he says all of a sudden Israel had done wrong in that era about five, 600 years before and the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, departed from the inside of the temple. It went to the outside gate he saw in the vision. And then it jumped the walls around Jerusalem and it went over the hills and it left as representation of the idea that God had left his physical, his presence from Jerusalem because of the sinfulness of the people. And all of a sudden we read about it again that the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory is radiating right before the shepherds in the field at night. How about that being woken up? Talk about a bright light in your, in your eyes and all of a sudden the midnight hour strikes, the angel is there and there's this glory of God. That would get your attention. In fact, what does the passage say? They, how did they react? It says they were sore afraid. Well, I would guess so. I would guess you get rolled out of your cot or your sleeping bag and it's such brilliance. This angel starts speaking. In fact, the brilliance, if we remember from Exodus 23, that typically the thought was if a man sees God, they shall die. And here they are, woken up from, from the night's slumber, and there's an angel, and there's the glory of the Lord. They were sore afraid. And the angel says to them, simple words, words that I laugh at because it's like, yeah, right. That's what you want me to be? The angel says, fear not, or literally, stop being afraid. Yeah, sure. Stop fearing. The angel is going to tell them, very simply in the message, I am not the minister of death. Now, have there been angels that have appeared that have caused death? Sure, in the Old Testament. So the angel is coming and saying, I'm not bringing death. I'm not bringing judgment. In fact, the angel says something that is phenomenal. The angel goes on and makes the comment, for, he says, stop fearing why, hoti. He says, because, he says, or behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day. The angel says, I'm going to give you good news. This is the word we get gospel from in the New Testament, where we get the idea of the euangelion, the euangelizo, the evangelist, the message that says this is fabulous. But he says it is for all people, not just the rich and the royal and the nobility and the religious leaders, it's for you shepherds. Not just for the Jews, it's for you shepherds. Not just for the men, it's for the ladies and the children. It makes it very clear, I have this wonderful, wonderful message. And the wonderful message is wrapped up in this idea, somebody is birthed. Somebody very special is born. And he makes it very clear for this one individual that is born to you is a unique individual. He is a phenomenal individual. And he gives him three titles. Three titles that never appear in the Old Testament altogether describing one person. First time in scriptures. Used together to describe one person. In fact, there are many scholars who question whether this is the only time in the New Testament. There's one other passage that groups them together, but it's debated whether it is. But it's used very, very, very scarcely. Used all together, these three titles, in one single sentence. There is born to you a Savior, Christ the Lord. And he's telling them very simply that the most phenomenal person, the most unexpected event, an individual that they didn't even consider one person having all of this in themselves, he's arrived. He's been birthed this evening. And the shepherds are going to hear and see this, and, and they're responding real quickly. And by, before I go any further, I need to describe the words, the titles. Soter, shepherd, or savior. The idea here is very simple, excuse me. The idea is very simple that what we have here is an individual that is a term that is used in the Old Testament to describe the judges. 
that we've been talking about in the series of Judges. Somebody who rescues, somebody who delivers. Caesar Augustus took this title and he used it in a lot of his writings, his decrees. He called himself the Savior, the Deliverer. He literally was the conqueror, but in his mind he delivered all the people from the bondage of, of non-Roman rule. And so it was a very common title of somebody who was supreme, somebody who was rescuing, somebody who was phenomenal. And they use this of Jesus. He's the rescuer. He's the deliverer. And the angels add to that, not only is he soter, but they add to that he's an individual who they say is the Christ. Now the word Christ is the same word in the Old Testament that we get Messiah. It's just the two different languages, one being Hebrew, one being Greek. And so you have Christos or Messiah. And we all know that in the Old Testament, Messiah was described as the representative of God, the one who would come to this earth and bring peace, the one who would bring prosperity, the one who would solve all the issues that planet earth has and the population upon the earth are struggling with. He would restore the civility, the holiness, the prosperity of the planet and society. He would be the one that Messiah would come and speak as God's mouthpiece. Messiah would be the one, according to the Old Testament, who would establish God's kingdom on earth, where God would then dwell with man in the Messiah form. And so this title to the shepherds, even though they were outcasts from their religious system, they would have heard about this in Sabbath school. They would know that Messiah would be the most phenomenal, the most, the most enlightened person who would ever enter into the human race through the Jewish nation. He would be the ultimate of royalty, the ultimate uh, ruler who would bring prosperity and peace and harmony and the Jews to a place of prosperity. And so they would look and say, this is phenomenal. But he's not only just Savior, he's also Messiah. Two titles put together. And then they add this, the Lord. The Lord is, again, a, a Greek word that is used for Christ frequently in the New Testament. If we were to go back in the Old Testament, they, they had a Bible that was rewritten in Greek language shortly before this era of time. It's called the Septuagint. In the Septuagint, whenever you read the word Yahweh or Jehovah, as they translated it into Greek, they would use this very title, Lord, instead of using Jehovah. And so by the time that Jesus is coming on the scene, in the Jewish thinking who are familiar with this, the word the Lord is used in this passage meant divine or deity, God. And so here they're describing the angels in their, in their chanting, in their singing, in their praises are saying, unto you is born this evening a very special child. He is one who is quite literally, the, he is God himself. He is God in the flesh. He has come to rescue. He has come to establish his kingdom upon earth. This is the one that, that we've been looking for for generations. This is the one that was promised since the fall in the garden who had come and crushed the serpent's head. This is the one that David wrote about who would be on the throne forever and ever. This is the one that Isaiah said that he would bring peace upon all nations and of his kingdom there would be no end. And the shepherds are hearing. The angels describe a babe who was born. This is good news. This is fabulous news. And the angels are saying it's happening right now. This one who's come, he's being born into planet earth, born into the human race right now, and you can go and find him. And they go on and they make the comment as the passage unfolds that it says, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the, the idea is you go and find where this child is. You go seek him out, this phenomenal being, this fabulous individual. Go find him. And the way you're going to be able to find him is one, he's a newborn. That idea of swaddling clothes. And, and I know some commentators and some experts will say, well, that long linen that was used to wrap around a baby, that was depictive of the idea of the burial cloths. That, that could be, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that scholarly to figure it out. What I do know is that historically this was the normal way that they would, with a newborn, they would wrap them up with a long cloth. So the indication is the sign is going to be you're going to see a newborn, but you're going to be able to identify this newborn different from others. Even though he's new and wrapped in swaddling clothes, you're going to find him in the most unique 
unexpected place. He's not going to be at home surrounded by grandparents and mom and dad and everybody else that normally would be there. He's not going to be surrounded by the midwife and others who would gather to help the young mother, whether it be sisters or aunts. He's not going to be surrounded by a peaceful scene where there's cleanliness. You're going to find this baby born in a barn. He's going to be lying in an animal's feeding trough. You're going to find him in a place that you wouldn't expect any newborn. No mother-to-be would gravitate towards a barn to birth a baby. It's going to be really a dirty place. It's going to stink. It's going to smell like animals and what animals do. <laughs> it's going to smell like animal food. You're going to, they're not going to be surrounded by family and friends. They're going to be surrounded by braying mules and mooing oxen and bleeding sheep. He's going to be somebody that you'll be able to distinguish right away because he's not coming in high class and high cleanliness. He's coming in great humility. The shepherds hear this. The shepherds see all this. And then added to this, suddenly there's this great multitude. And notice the passage, how he talks about a multitude of hosts. The idea isn't just a few. It's the idea that heavens were all of a sudden ablaze. There was overflowing with angels. Now, my immediate thought is, people miles away, did they see this? Did they hear this? Well, we know the shepherds did. And we know that the shepherds hear this, this chorus that is all of a sudden crying out and, and bellowing the sounds of that phrase that we know, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Some of you have a different translation that is probably, quite frankly, more correct where it reads this way, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, especially among men in whom God shows goodwill or with whom God is pleased. The idea is that these individuals are hearing a message that is reverberating from heaven, that is challenging them, that is calling them, that is a fantastic message. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the shepherds? To be there in the field to see this, if you could at least see through all the brightness, to hear this, that the Savior, God Himself, the Lord of creation, is birthed nearby. And he's come. He's come to bring you redemption. And how that must have thrilled their hearts, these people who are considered idiots, uneducated by the religious class, and they get this message. They get to hear it. They get to see the angels. They get to, to be the first ones that are told that the, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is nearby. How thrilling that must have been. Can you imagine? Wait a minute. You can imagine, can't you? Because there was a time in your life where you first heard that message. In fact, at Christmas season, you hear it repeated time and time again. You get more details than the shepherd did. Truly, your heart is like the shepherd's heart, full, filled with amazement, enamored by the king coming to earth, being born in flesh in a manger. You are awestruck by his humility. You are compelled to do what the shepherds did, to want to give praise and worship because you hear the message and you understand it even more fully than they did. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Their story is a wonderful story because these individuals, who they are, undeserving, but they get the message that the Messiah is here. I think they're fascinating characters because of what they did, how they responded to the message. We read about their response when we read the next few verses. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, let's go. Let's see this thing that's come to pass that the Lord has made known. And they came with haste. They found Mary, Joseph, and the babe. And when they had seen it, they made it known abroad the saying that was told them concerning the child. There's a story that goes in history that when the expansion of America was taking place, when people's groups were coming, that many of them were amazed when they reached the Grand Canyon. But there's a, a legendary story about one man 
who came to the edge of the Grand Canyon with the group that he was caravanning with. And he looked over the Grand Canyon and he didn't move. He stared. And he stared. And he was awestruck by the Grand Canyon. You can imagine that because some of you have seen it. And it is an amazing sight. But then he made a statement that is a profound statement. Looking over that Grand Canyon and seeing all that, that majesty and, and all the nature's glorifying God, he said, something big happened here. <laughs> what an understatement, right? What would somebody think when they came to America? From another planet, let's pretend. And they saw the decorations. They saw the hoopla taking place at Christmas time. They see the different scenes put up in parks and pavilions. They see the displays and people gathering for worship. And they do different programs and concerts all around Christmas. They see groups like us putting on programs that talk about this one person. If somebody came from a distant planet to this earth at Christmas season, they would have to say something big happened here. This is something phenomenal that affected so many people. Well, the shepherds, they said when they saw these angels, something big is happening right now. And their response is threefold. First thing they do is they go and seek him out. Or what should we say? They come to Jesus. In the passage that we just read, when they come to Jesus, the idea is that they personally come. They didn't send somebody. The passage implies they all came. They all come when they're, they're determined to find this Jesus, who the angels encouraged them when they said, you shall find. Go and find him. Go and seek him out. They do. And it implies when it says they found, it is implied that they did some searching. It wasn't immediate. There's no appearance of a star at this moment. Not in the text. That happens with the wise men later. But they come, they search out, they find with the signs that were given, they find Christ. They find him with his parents. So they made that search, but when they made that search, they're doing it with haste. They're not getting, they're not getting you know, preoccupied. They're very focused. They're determined we're going to find him despite the hour despite the fact that they have other obligations with their job, despite the idea that to go, they, it's going to take them a little bit of time, some effort at night, walking in the dark, because Christ was important. Finding this one, someone big here, they was there worth their energy. It was worth their effort to come and find him, to find who this one was, where he was, the Savior, God in the flesh, the Lord who would bring an eternal kingdom to this earth, who would bring heaven to this earth. They wanted to know him. They wanted to find him. They wanted to seek him out. They not only sought after him, they not only come to him, they rejoiced when they found him. They are so excited that when they see him, and then when they depart, they are, they are glorifying. They are praising. They can't get over it. They don't get used to this. This is an ongoing praise in their hearts, thinking about what they've just seen, what they've just saw, that Jesus Christ has come, that he is the one, or I should say, the Savior Christ, the Lord, has come. They would have learned his name from Mary and Joseph, but they're told that this was their Savior their hope of heaven, their Lord, their God, and they've just been able to visit him. By the way, I've written in my Bible something that I would encourage you to do just to make it more personable. In verse 11, for unto you, you shepherds, I wrote my name. Not, I put Wayne, okay. For unto Wayne is born this day in the city of David. For unto, put your name there. This is how personable this was. This is how they understood it. This was for me. This Christ coming, this Savior, this Christos, this Lord came to this earth for me, for you. Oh, what exciting news. No wonder they're rejoicing. No wonder they're praising that God was doing this work, that everything was happening as God had predicted back in the ancient times and all, all, even this evening, all of it was taking place. 
this Messiah had arrived. And then what do they do? They tell others. You read in the text that as it came to pass, as they go their way, they make the saying, they make, abroad, make known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. They're repeating it. This is the first evangelist called of God in the New Testament, the shepherds, that go out and they broadcast the news of Jesus Christ without hesitation. They're telling all. They're telling everyone. And everybody is amazed. They're awestruck. They are stupefied that these guys are saying they saw angels. Maybe they're thinking that they drank a little too much. Maybe they're thinking that they got bumped on the head. Maybe they're thinking, what's going on? But the reality is the shepherds told. They spoke. They gave the news. This is an absolutely amazing experience for the shepherds that they were privileged to be a part of. They rejoice. They tell others. They apply it, they take it, they make it their own. Wow, amazing events. Now, taking the whole story, let's bring some thoughts together. Let's consider the reality pictured in this story. Number one reality is this. Christ was far more than anyone expected. They, they predicted that there would be a Christ. They predicted in the Old Testament there would be a Savior. They predicted God visitation upon the earth, but they didn't understand it would all be in one. They didn't put it all together. And the angels announced he is far more than anyone expected. He is God in the flesh as the Savior going to bring eternal life to this earth. And the angels make it clear that Jesus Christ is the most phenomenal, fantastic, unique individual who has ever graced the planet earth. He is an individual worth our time and attention to get to know. Number two stands out to me is this. God at that time deserved and was given praise by his angelic beings. He deserved it for the birth of Jesus Christ, for this plan, for this, this coming into this planet in the human race. And Christ, because of his birth, deserved honor and glory. He still does. God deserves our worship, our praise an ongoing worship, an ongoing praise for coming to this earth to become incarnate, to become like us, to provide us salvation. It's an amazing thought that too often we get used to because we've celebrated too many Christmases. That we have lost sometimes the enormity of the fact that God became a man to rescue us. The enormity of the thought that he came for me for you. Amazing. That God would consider us that, that much. Consider us worthwhile to give his attention and his son coming from heaven. Amazing. Amazing. And the result is the angels not only praise, the shepherds do too. And their praise is enthusiastic. It's done as a group. It's done as individuals. They are giving him praise repeatedly. When the shepherds leave, it continues on their lips. The way it should continue on our lips when we walk out of here. When we get busy this week and as we talk about Christmas to our family and friends, there should be a radiance of joy that we know the reason for the season. It is the incarnation of Christ. And especially to think about what it meant for him. Why he did it for us to save us. True story that you've heard before. John Griffith, during the time of the Great Depression, he had a farm in Oklahoma. It was failing, so he moved closer to the Mississippi. He gets a job where he's operating a bridge, one of those drawbridges that would rise up so the ships could go underneath lower so that the train could go across. He was doing well at the job, enjoyed the job, but for him, his greatest joy was his family, especially his eight-year-old boy, his oldest. And the newspapers report in this true story that what happened the one day is he took his son to work with him. It wasn't the first time, but his son was there at work with him, and it got to be closing closer to the lunch hour, and so he knew the routine. He was going to raise the drawbridge so that it would stay up for a while so boats could go underneath, and then at such and such a time, the Memphis Express, the passenger train would be coming, usually with about three to 400 passengers, and he would get back and put the drawbridge down in time. 
so that train could pass. Some of you already know what's going to happen in this story. What happened? He and his son were eating lunch. He lost track a little bit of the time and he heard the whistle of the Memphis Express off in the distance. He told his son, I got to get back. I got to lower that drawbridge quickly. I think I have just about enough time to get it down so the train can come through. You stay here. He ran, got back there, and as he was getting ready to push the lever, all of a sudden he heard his name being called. Dad! Dad, he looked out the door and he saw that his son hadn't stayed. His son had fallen and f- had followed and fallen into the gears of the drawbridge. His son was injured, calling, saying he was stuck, he couldn't get out. And he heard the whistle of the train coming. 400 people on there, his son down here. Closed his eyes, grabbed the lever, and he pushed it for the drawbridge to come down. His son immediately was crushed. The newspapers reported that as Griffith stood there, watching the train go by, sobbing, knowing that his choice cost him his son, but all these people were saved. The report was that he just screamed and hollered as he watched the faces of the people on the train who were so busy reading their papers, eating their lunch, doing their own thing, they didn't realize what sacrifice he had just made. God Almighty has made a tremendous sacrifice for us. He let his son take our hell for us. He gave his life, he gave his his holiness so that you and I could have a tidbit of his holiness back. So that we could have forgiveness of sins. He died so that we could live eternally. That's the Savior we're worshiping this day. That's the deliverer who we gather and we call out in song and we sing about this, this is Christ the King who gave his life for us, who suffered our hell, who was separated from God for an eternity in a moment for you, for me. How can we not but praise? How can we not be thankful? How can we be so distracted at Christmas time with trees and cookies and other good things and forget the Christ child? the Christ Savior, the Christ who is Lord God, who is the epitome of humility, who is the one who comes to this earth born in a stinking stall for us, who doesn't show up even in Jerusalem. Oh, there's been people who have given up things. There's a talented young man in history, 10 years of age. He's playing great concerts and doing things from memory on the violin before, before the kings and queens of the courts of Europe. He's an individual who did multiple musical pieces. Before th- age 35, over 600 musical works just flowed out of this talented individual whose name is too long to say. And we just call him what? Mozart talented individual who is at the very epitome of the fine arts of history, who is an individual who has had all the royalty amazed at him, bowing before him, who was given all kinds of monetary gifts because of his amazing talent, which he ended up squandering, which he ended up losing, to the point that when this man who was at the top, he died a pauper. In fact, very few people came to his funeral, and it was, since it was raining, his wife didn't want to go out to the, to the burial site. And so he was buried where nobody knew or saw where he was buried. An individual who was at the top, who fell to the very bottom. And we say, how tragic, how terrible. Jesus Christ chose to leave the top to come to the very bottom for you and for me. He chose to give up the riches. Voluntarily, he chose to leave the glory where the angels were at his beck and call, where he was surrounded by purity that is beyond our imagination. And he comes and puts himself in a trough. He comes down where the only ones who are surrounding him after being surrounded in heaven by the myriads of these powerful beings, he's surrounded by a donkey, cow, and sheep. 
that his audience when he comes to be birthed is a group of shepherds that nobody else would even want near them. Talk about humility. That's Jesus. Talk about an example for you and me. He's our master. But let me give you another thought, moving on for time. Heaven wants us to find Jesus personally. Heaven wants us, the angels speaking on God's behalf, wanted all these shepherds to come to meet this Christ. It was good news for all men, not just them. It was this idea that he's not hidden, you can find him. He's not some mystery. We will even give you clues on where he is and how you can find him. And the clues were obvious. There he is. Go and seek him out. But you have to come to him. The same thing still happens. We are given lots of clues, but we need to find him. Problem is some people don't look in the right places. Some of you know this individual, George Harrison from the Beatles. Some of you remember this time where he was all enamored with Eastern mysticism. What motivated him and moved him to even get so involved with this is this statement. At the end of his life, he was asked, what was the most important thing you got involved with? Here's what he basically said. Everything else in life can wait, but our search for God cannot wait. Here's an individual who recognized how important it was, and yet he looked in the wrong places. Jesus Christ was there, being able to be found at any moment. In our home, we used to play a lot of hide-and-seek. Some of you have been wondering, are these my comfort pets up here this morning? No. We play hide-and-seek, and one of the ways that we play hide-and-seek of late is I take the kids' buddies, and we grab the buddies and we hide them around the house, and then they have to find their buddies. What I find really interesting is the way that my granddaughter who just turned four, Eden, how she hides the buddies when it's her turn to hide them. Now me, I'd stick the buddies like in the middle of this plant, make it a little bit challenging. I might stick it in the drawer in the pulpit or stick it, you know, underneath some chairs. But this is Eden's way of hiding. <laughs> and we say, Eden, you have to hide something a little bit better than that. Already, we come out, and she'll be standing there. <laughs> We're walking through. We found one. Okay, we found it. Oh, yeah, Eden, this is really hard. We found this one. Oh, honey, you did such a good job hiding them. <gasps> oh, she's so happy. She's been successful, except for we're missing one. And it's like, oh. So, Eden, you did hide one. <laughs> and we'll pretend we're not finding it. She'll go, no! <laughs> Her idea of hiding is making it very easy to find. God's way of hiding his son is making him so easy to find unless you are too proud, unless you are too religious, and you've got to have it more complicated. It's got to be more challenging. Otherwise, Christ is right there in the open, waiting to be found this Christmas, found to be your Savior, your God, your hope for all eternity to be in heaven with Him. And He's right there. Oh yeah, sometimes we need somebody maybe to do this. Because sometimes, just sometimes, we get a little bit confused. But he is so out there in the open, if you would just come to Christ, ask him to be your Savior. Ask him to be the one to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to be the one to provide you the ticket to heaven because he is it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that wants to bring you to heaven. He is the one that wants to give you eternal life. He is the one who came to this earth for you to know you're going to heaven. And this isn't a hide-and-seek. 
He's hidden in the open. Won't you come to Christ? Won't you ask Him to be your Savior this day? Stop relying upon your church. Stop relying upon your family. Stop relying upon your religiosity. Stop relying upon your baptism. Stop relying upon yourself. Realize that He is the one who gave His life to take your penalty. He paid for all of your sin. He paid for the ticket for you to get into heaven for eternity. It's there. It's free. It's hidden in the wide open spaces available for you to grab and to take by calling upon Him this day. Can I conclude with this thought? This Christmas, those of us who have found Christ... We should respond the same way the shepherds did. We should do exactly what they did. We should tell others about Christ. We, whether they respond, whether they come, we should tell them how awestruck we are, how fascinated we are, how much we appreciate, how great affection we have for this Jesus who loved us. We should tell it. We should make known the real Christmas story. That it's not just about the cookies and the cakes and about the bonuses. It's not just about the days off and a long weekend. It's about a Savior coming to this world. God in the flesh. Humiliating Himself, humbling Himself to give us eternal life. Wow, what a story. As well, we should praise Him more and more and more. But too often it's falling by the wayside at Christmas time. A couple weeks ago when we were away, we went to my favorite place, Williamsburg, for their Christmas celebration. Some of you have been there or you're aware of what they do is the first week in December. They do all kinds of programs and things to kick off the Christmas season. And they do this fireworks display called the Grand Illumination where they synchronize different parts in the town this fantastic fireworks show. That's real low. It feels like it's right above your heads. It's fabulous. It's fantastic. Well, we went there to be a part of that and to be away and to get refreshed and to just enjoy that kickoff of the Christmas season. And we're sitting there on, this, on the street, on the curb of the street, and while we're sitting there waiting for everything to start that evening, people were coming and filling in, and there's thousands of people show up so you get your curb spot early. And so they're filling in, and all of a sudden, three fellows, four fellows come up, and right about that break in the aisles, they put a little box on the ground, they have a microphone, and they stand up, and they say, we are so grateful for so many people visiting Williamsburg this time of the year. We understand that so many of you are out-of-town visitors coming because of the Christmas celebration. And we would like to talk about the real reason for the season. And these fellas, Soapbach preached. They, one by one, got up and they shared a very, very clear gospel message. The reaction to the, uh, in the crowd was stunning. Get out of here! Get what well, this has nothing to do with you know. They called the police officer several times. Can't you get rid of them? One police officer walked by, turned around, came back, said, Folk, who told me that they should be arrested? And I'm pointing to the guy that's a couple seats down. <laughs> he said, Sir, they have the right to speak. Of all places where we celebrate the history of American rights and freedoms. These people have the right to preach. Well, we don't want to hear them. And so there was grumbling complaint. There was others who called out and said, let them go. They have the right. Preach it, brother. So there was a mixture in the crowd. So we're sitting there for a few moments, and I was appalled, and I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have been so shocked. But the fellow sitting here who is very vocal, very vile, but very vocal at the same time, as they're preaching, he yelled, after he's yelled several times, he looked at his wife and realized, he says, what in the world does this preaching about Christ have to do with Christmas? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that, isn't there? He is the reason we have Christmas. Is he not or did I miss something? You know, it even happens in some of our songs that we start minimizing Christ. Do you, want, do you want to see an interesting song? We sing this. We're going to sing a couple stanzas if the pianist and organist will get there. The song we sing that you all know, you know, we don't sing the original write, written words. They've been altered. They've been modified slightly. 
because of some of the message in the song. It's a beautiful song. It's talking about Christ. We know this. You know, what child is this who laid to rest in Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. Even as we sing this song, watch the last two stanzas, how they changed, but they give the real gospel message. The message that talks about what Christ is really and how wonderful he is and how awesome he is, and how humbled he became. And while we do this song, and watch the words, and reflect, maybe you're here this morning, and you know you need to call upon Christ. You need him this Christmas season. We're having our staff go to those doors right there. And they're going to be waiting there for any who at any time while we're singing want to just get up and go and talk with them to find out about knowing for sure you're going to heaven, what you need to do. You can do that. It'll take just a few minutes. And you can find out, find this Christ this Christmas. Otherwise, join me. Sing these songs, sing the words, especially that second and third chorus when we get to them. Watch how the words change. God, how wonderful, how wonderful that you came with a plan to give your life for us. We are awestruck, we are humbled. We are amazed. We are grateful. We give you the glory, the praise. We give you our worship. We give you our thanksgiving at this Christmas season. Help us to walk out of here wanting to tell others about Christ. Help us to take advantage of this evening's ministry. If there's friends or neighbors that we've yet to invite to come to hear, to see the Christmas story portrayed. Help us to, in our way we work this week, and the way that we talk, in the busyness of the holiday, help us to portray the joy, the joy that the babe has come, that we have eternal life. Help us to be individuals who share, who care for others. Help us to magnify Jesus, the wonderful, gracious Savior of our souls, the one in whose name we pray. Help us to honor him more and more and more this Christmas season. We praise, we thank, we ask, we plead in his name. Amen. Thanks for being here. See you tonight.